Hey, everybody, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Last week on the podcast, we talked about some of our New Year's goals and resolutions. And last Friday on our Gear 30 podcast, we handed out awards for the most influential and then the best gear of the past decade. If you haven't checked out that Gear 30 episode, you definitely should. And so now in today's episode, we wanted to offer our thoughts on what the ski and snowboard industry might look like 10 years from now. Will backcountry skiing and splitboarding have continued to grow? Will indoor ski areas become more of a thing? Will there be more or fewer ski companies in existence 10 years from now? We make our predictions on all of these questions and more, so see what you think and let us know in the show notes to this episode on our website. Here we go. Okay, guys, we've been talking about New Year's resolutions. We've been talking about this past decade and some of our choices for most influential gear and best gear of the past 10 years. Time to make some predictions about the ski and snowboard industry in general for this coming 10 years. So that's what I wanted to get into today. And um, I thought it would just be a good opportunity to see how much consensus we have among ourselves and um, just get people thinking about where we might be 10 years from now. So I think I want to start with backcountry skiing. That was something that we had said was perhaps one of the biggest trends of the last 10 years. Let's start this with Paul. Question, will backcountry skiing continue on this growth trajectory or do we think it will level out or do we think it will actually decline? I think it will probably level off. I think that's been really rapid growth and uh, I suspect that it's starting to become a bit saturated, but I, I could be wrong. Um, but I think at least what I'm seeing around here is probably like slow growth, but not as, not as rapid as it's been over the last 10 years. Sam? I think we'll continue to see sales of backcountry gear like kind of stay good for a little while because I still think there's a lot of people who have that, you know, that aspirational desire to get into the backcountry. However, I think actual backcountry participation um, will probably be leveling off here pretty soon just because I think, and I've probably said this on the podcast before, I think most people secretly don't like backcountry skiing. Um, and I think most of the gear that has been sold in the past little while is just sitting in people's garages pr predominantly. Um, I think people people want to get into skiing to go skiing, and that's not really what you do when you go backcountry skiing very much. So that's kind of my prediction. Luke? Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree. Um, yeah, I think we'll see, keep seeing more people with AT bindings, hopefully like Shift or maybe Duke PT where they're actually um, certified for release in the resort. But I don't think we're going to see a continued huge rise in the number of people actually skiing in the backcountry on a regular basis. Because um, I think the the outdoor industry does a great job of making it look really sexy and really cool. And like you're always skiing fresh snow, but turns out it is 
a lot of walking and more importantly, it's extremely dangerous. And I would hope that um, like some people who are honest with themselves and like, actually, I like skiing in the resort where patrol is doing a lot of avalanche control and I don't have to worry about that and I get to ride a lift up. Um, yeah, so I think it's going to level out, um, I think, over the next decade. One thing that I think will be interesting is whether we will continue to see growth in the rise of people skinning up at ski areas, um, whether that is part of a growing fitness trend or whether it's not people just wanting to get outside and not necessarily doing it for like fitness workouts per se, but just as a, I, I think that has been, I wouldn't call it a huge trend of the past 10 years, but it will be interesting to see if the uphill traffic at ski areas grows or not. I, I think my answer to the question is I would agree about a leveling off or even a decline. I, I mean, this gets hard, right? Like what specific metrics are we talking about? Whether we're talking about, you know, on the one hand, I think there is a significant kind of um, marketing element of the ski industry in general. Will will gear manufacturers continue to kind of um, use a little bit of a pejorative term here that I don't really mean, but like kind of sell that picture of the backcountry skier and backcountry skiing? Um, I actually think a huge factor for this will be the cost of ski passes. And I think that this is where it gets interesting with like these multi ski area passes like the icon pass or the epic pass we were seeing a lot of creep i feel like in terms of just how expensive ski area passes are and now with these multi passes at least for the time being it seems like they're in a direct competition to not get way more expensive than the other guy and given that, it's like, I feel like we are in a pretty decent time right now where all things considered, there were a lot of ski areas where just buying a pass to those ski areas would be a couple grand. Um, and so I think if access to inbound skiing and chairlifts is just not quite as expensive as it used to be, that is a really significant factor. I think it's like, well... I can't afford to ski the resort, you know, or maybe I now can. And so I think that will continue to be an interesting and important element to this. Does that resonate with you guys? I could see it going both ways, I think, because for people who aren't skiing like seven days a year, that pass doesn't, sometimes it doesn't make sense for them financially. And then like backcountry skiing can be like, oh, well, there's no, apart from all the gear you need to buy, there's no daily rate that you're paying for. Um, but I think in the whole market, I think I'd agree with you. Um, but I think there will be some, I know some of those people who are like, yeah, I don't bother buying a pass. I just ski in the backcountry for free. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because I kind of, I was skiing in Summit County a whole lot when the whole like, epic past thing was conceptualized you know i was i was a kid at the time um but what we saw happen was veil bought all these resorts then 
the ski pass prices just plummeted, right? So it used to be, you know, like 900 to 2000 bucks, depending probably on where you were in the, in, in the country for a ski pass to one of these ski resorts. Then like you could get an Epic pass in the first few years as an adult for like three, 400 bucks. You know, they were dirt cheap. And all we've seen since then is prices rising every single year. Um, so although I agree with the, with the like theoretical concept of like, oh, the competition will keep prices level. Um, I'm very curious to see how that actually plays out. Agreed. I think uh, like to add a little bit of uh, nuance to exactly what you guys are talking about. Um, I think a, at a new point, I think that the backcountry skiing enthusiasm came from two different directions. It came from people who loved to ski inbounds and wanted to ski, you know, wanted something different and saw backcountry skiing for, for all the reasons you guys mentioned as an, as attractive. And then I think also the rise of the popularity of backcountry skiing and the accessibility of good backcountry ski equipment that basically made it easier brought in a whole other demographic into the, into skiing, basically. And that's what we're seeing here is a lot of people who really didn't grow up skiing, didn't have a lot of interest in skiing, but they like love outdoor sports. You know, they love, they like climbing and they like hiking and they like mountain biking. And backcountry skiing was appealing to them in a way that lift serve skiing never was. You know, that was always kind of a, more of like an athletic endeavor or kind of a, you know, ski lodge type thing. And so um, I think that a lot of the people that came into it for those reasons are into it now. The gear's there. It makes the sport pretty easy. And I think, you know, a lot of parts of the world, you see a lot of people backcountry skiing who never really skied very much before. Um, and that has all its own connotations and issues. Um, but uh, then, of course, the other side of it is the economics you guys have mentioned. And, uh, you know, my understanding is the overall trend in the ski industry has been toward fewer people skiing more days. Is that kind of what you guys are, is that your impression also over the last decade or so? Good question. And I want to tread carefully here, but um, I think that is starting to reverse a bit. Yep. I, yeah, I agree with you. And I think because of the, 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 the less expensive passes you guys have mentioned, maybe, is that part of what you're getting at there, Jonathan? Yep. yep. Um, but so I think, you know, that's, that's maybe the wild card is if people, if enthusiasm for skiing increases among like a wider economic demographic because of that, that maybe those people will, that, that'll be more influx into other aspects of the sport, like backcountry skiing. But overall, it seems like it's like so in your face that if you have any inkling to ski in the backcountry, you probably had an opportunity to do it by now. Whereas before it was like this rapid growth where people were getting exposed and, you know, and the equipment was getting better. And so I, I'm going to stick with level off, but there's so many factors at play. Yep. Let's do something here. I think I'd like to go through some other specific segments of, well, snow sports, basically. And maybe we'll just kind of go, you know, round the table and get quicker answers here on just some of our predictions or thoughts. And we'll see if any of us see if any of us wins for kind of the best insight on some of these topics. But um, we've been talking about backcountry skiing. Any predictions about backcountry split boarding in terms of growth, decline, or stays steady? Paul, we'll let you kick off. I think maybe slight decline, but I'm basing this totally on regional trends here where we're, I feel like Alaska has a lot more skiers than snowboarders proportionally than we did say five years ago but I could be way off on that Sam 
Yeah, I mean, this is more anecdotal, but I would also say decline simply because I have several friends who are snowboarders who are interested in getting into backcountry and each one of them has expressed far more interest in learning how to ski than they have in buying a splitboard. Yeah, I've had similar experiences. I I can only think of a few splitboarders that have been like consistent touring partners over the last five years. Um, and it's not because I don't like snowboarders. I love riding with snowboarders. But um, yeah, I haven't seen that grow a whole lot. And another total anecdotal piece I took my younger brother um, in the backcountry once, super mellow terrain, but borrowed a split board because he had snowboarded in the resort, and it took him one day to decide to switch to skiing (laughs) because he was so frustrated (laughs) with the equipment. So I think my honest answer is I really am not sure, but if I was going to agree with you guys, I think I would agree on the basis that AT ski equipment just is getting so good. So I think if we are going to continue to see a, even a bit of growth as opposed to even like a decline or just staying flat, I think we're still going to need to see some evolutions or incremental improvements on some aspects of the split boarding equipment side. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if some of those developments happen in the next 10 years. But yeah, I, I feel a little bit like just AT equipment is really good and an effective and frankly easier way to get around. Um, so we all know super accomplished split boarders out there who are absolute badasses. So there's there's that's not what we're talking about. It's actually kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Like how easy it will be to pull non-super experienced badasses into splitboarding, I think. And again, none of we will all tread lightly here and, you know, none of us are trying to overstate uh, expertise on this side, but, um, but I think we're in large agreement on this. Moving on, backcountry telemarking. I would say it's already at a pretty low point Mm -hmm. in popularity the bindings just had a bit of a you know in the last five years a bit of an improvement with the acceptance of the pin toe or you know pin tech type bindings for the toes uh, which will probably bring a few people back who had abandoned telemarking in the backcountry but overall telemarking is just uh, hasn't really been that popular since like the mid mid 2000s or maybe late 2000s (laughs) Or two thousand first decade. When's the last time you telemarked, Paul? Oh, uh, probably March or so. Oh, okay. So, so still bit. something you'll do occasionally. Yeah, uh, yeah, I dusted them off the other day, but just for a workout. But I didn't actually take them out. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I basically I just agree with Paul based on what I've seen. Well, you know what they say: buy low, sell high. I'm all in on telling next decade. <laughs> I love this. I see what you did there with buy low. I thought you were going to go somewhere else to telemark turn. (laughs) No, 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 no. Sam's buying all the telemark stock? (laughs) (laughs) No, I do think that we're going to see a resurgence of telemark skiing. 
not probably a large one in the next decade. But I think like we saw a huge tail off because of how good AT gear got. But there's still all those people who want to go out and slide on snow in a different way. And uh, I think there, I think there's a lot of AT skiers who used to telly or a bunch of dudes who are just going to get this, to get this, get this, get this little uh, wild hair. And that's my big prediction for next, next decade. So take that to the bank. Nice. I think Sam needs like to start it. telling. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's going to quit skiing. Yeah. This, <laughs> So after you ski your three big objectives, Sam, you just can become a telly soul skier. That's a great idea. I'll start sevens. calling in gear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I actually really like Sam's idea here, and and it you know this is what happens right as as we start to see dominant trends in an area, then certain individuals are like, well, what about this other thing? Or let's go throwback, or you know, let's go with really short snowboards and 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 so that's not going to change our appetite to go throwback or search for just novelty from major trends so boy sam actually um that was compelling well done sam as long as it's telemarking and not like snow biking or something that becomes the next <laughs> predominant trend <laughs> <laughs> um here's to all the snow bikers out there i always love watching it i yeah if if like Every chairlift ride, I could just watch snow bikers coming down the mountain. I would be super excited about inbound skiing always. Um, speaking of inbound skiing, let's talk about that. Growth, decline, or flat? 10 years out. In the next 10 years, I think probably still some level off or, or some growth for the reasons we discussed earlier. Um, the the yeah, this kind of goes into the skiing industry as a whole, but I really think that like climate change is the giant yep. elephant in the room here, and it's everything's going to depend on how how this plays out over the next ten years, what we actually see. And I think you know probably most of the most dire effects of climate change in the ski industry are going to be past that ten year mark, um, from my understanding of it. But it's it's certainly a huge factor, and then I think that again, might not be within the next 10 years. But, you know, obviously the economy as a whole, you can, we can talk all day about what might happen there. None of us are experts on that, and that's going to have a huge impact. But I think also specifically the economics of climate change are going to be a big factor for the ski industry. And I, again, I don't know if we're talking the next decade, but I think uh, huge, huge, like, unknown there um, and definitely is going to shake things up at some point. Yeah, I mean, I think the long-term trends... Um, like what you're talking about, Paul, are, man, that's a, that's a really challenging thing to predict. Um, but I think in the short term, maybe this isn't even the next decade, but the next, you know, several years, the, the, the idea of these mega passes, I think just makes barrier of entry to skiing so much less, you know? Um, and from that perspective, I see resort skiing on the up more than anything else, despite all, whatever the economic pressures and um, climate pressures might be. Yeah, I I think I'd agree with Paul more, but I'm like I'm not ready to say that like the ski industry is going to grow a ton over the next ten years. For me, for some reason, I just think it's going to stay fairly steady. Um, but I don't I don't have a great idea of this one. So okay, I'm actually going to predict growth 
you know, on the climate change stuff, and again, I think it's so important to talk about micro climate change and macro. And when we go macro and we start talking geologic time, you know, that's one of the things that gets, sometimes it's easy to lose in these conversations. But like, if we're talking about the next decade, that's, you know, in geologic time, that's a nanosecond, right? So I think what we will continue to see is a lot of erratic weather, but that might mean that certain areas are going to have some of their best snowfall counts ever, potentially, right? Others will see the opposite of that. So, but I do think, and I am largely wagering on the the mega passes that that is going to be a way to attract new skiers to this sport. I still think we need to do a way better job of putting newbies to the sport on non-shitty equipment. And um, maybe that's my, I should have had that as my New Year's resolution or, you know, my resolution for this coming decade. Like, industry, we still suck at this. And if you don't realize that we suck at this, you are part of the problem. Uh, Whether you're a rental shop, whether you are, you know, making this shitty rental equipment, like, you guys are turning people off from the sport. And uh, we need to still work on this. Anyway, that's my take on that. Moving on. Inbound snowboarding. Paul. Oh, same. I mean, maybe, maybe like I said before, a little bit of a decline just because it seems like I'm seeing less snowboarders, but I have no no basis for that at all. Yeah, I would just kind of line it up the same as skiing from what I've seen. I haven't seen, I mean, I'm not someone that is like keeping a tally book on the lift. Like there are X number of snowboarders today and X number of skiers, but it seems like they're both kind of staying on the same path. So I I'd, I'd guess I'd repeat the same answer as the last one. Yeah, and I mean, in the last 10 years, we saw we saw park skiing and freestyle skiing, I think, sort of take a bunch of the market share that snowboarding used to have. Um, and I don't really see that continuing. I have a feeling that that trend has kind of leveled off a lot in the past 10 years. Um, so I would... I I would probably also say that my snowboarding answer tracks with my skiing answer. That we'll we'll see slight growth in both. Okay. Inbounds telemarking. We touched on this, I guess. It's gonna absolutely blow up, according are to you, Sam. Are you are you buying low and selling high, Luke? Uh, no, but um, no, I don't I don't see it changing all that much inbounds. I just don't like telemarketing does not get promoted very much at all from great, what I can see. Great point. And I feel like that's like new skiers see like, Oh, the, that's the guy that like drops his knee to the ground when he skis. That looks really hard. Like, I don't want to do that. Um, but so I don't know. I, I feel like it'll stay steady. Like there are always going to be like the hardcore tele skiers and that's awesome. And I feel like it's something I would like to try like later in my life. Um, I know a lot of people who like, it sounds kind of, like a proud thing to say, but like got bored of alpine skiing and wanted something different. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't see it changing a whole lot. You know, a question I noticed isn't on this list is about mono skiing or ski blading. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> let's, let's finish out this inbounds telemarking and then we can talk Sam about mono skiing and ski blades. Do you have anything to add on the inbounds telemarking, Sam? You're buying 
you're buying tele stock, but was this specifically backcountry tele stock or was this also inbounds tele stock? Yeah, actually, probably more inbounds than backcountry, I think, for me. Um, you know, AT gear is so good in the backcountry, and there's a lot of utility you get out of it being easy to ski in the backcountry, you know, but inbounds is where you can kind of let your freak flag fly a little bit. And uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think for the exact reasons that Luke doesn't think Telly is going to have a little <laughs> resurgence, I think it is. I think that idea of it being sort of like this counterculture, nonconformist thing um, is what drove Telly to popularity in the past and is what will drive it to popularity again in the future. Hmm. <laughs> That's my stump speech. I'm going go, to go fully for my availability heuristic when we're talking about human factors here because I know so many dads right now. And dads love doing stuff like telemarketing while their kids are learning how to ski. Mm-hmm. There you so go. the massive influx of dads across America <laughs> is going to bring back telemark skiing. <laughs> and when you're a dad, you, you never care if you're, you look cool anymore. Yeah. Telemarking is perfect for that. Here's my new <laughs> prediction for the next decade when it comes to telemarking. First of all, Luke made a great point that like how much, like when you think of a ski advertisement, we just got done talking about how backcountry skiing was a massive advertising vehicle for the industry. Guess what hasn't been a massive advertising vehicle? So you're not, you're not, uh, again, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but like you're not selling, the industry hasn't been selling the telemark dream, right? What's going to happen is Sam is going to tick off his three lines, quit <laughs> skiing, start telemarking, all the companies are going to now make Sam the like the uh, the poster boy <laughs> for the flyer freak flag tele resurgence and Sam is going to go on to just lead the people in you know lead the people back to dropping a knee there you go so that's where i think things are going to be in 10 years all yep. right sam 2020 <laughs> <laughs> um all right, quickly, um, since I, for some reason, tried to appease Sam so that we wouldn't get too off topic here, uh, we're going to combine this mono skiing and ski boards blades. Uh, who's got the brighter future in the next 10 years? I'd say ski blades, only based on the fact that both J-Skis and Moment started making blades and Sago and like a few of the indie companies. Faction did bring back their mono ski and a shop here has one and I really need to try it. Um, but <laughs> I don't think either are going to like start to eat up significant market share <laughs> in the next 10 years. But hey, if people want to mono ski and ski board, ski blade more, m- more power to them because it's really fun and it's like impossible to do without like laughing the whole time, which is great. Sam, monoski or ski boards? You know, I'm going to have to agree with Luke on this one. I'm, I'm going ski blades, yep. ski boards, just because ski blading is so easy. So easy. And monoskiing, though I've never monoskied, looks to be so freaking hard. Um, so, yeah. People, I think there's always going to be those those people who come out for their ski vacation and just like don't really care about skiing. You just want to zoom around on the mountain a little bit and hop on their, hop on their little shorties. But... That mono skiing, like, takes some balls, I think, to hop onto one of those things. Paul, what are the dads going to be into? Mono skiing, easy. 
Yeah, so I, so I have to, you guys are probably right, there's going to be a lot more ski blades sold, but as far as like the impact on the soul of our sport, mono skiing <laughs> is, uh, is, is going to be much more of an impact than ski blades. And right. I say this in, uh, in deference to my, my very good friend, Henry Munter, who has started locking his he has this technique where he takes his fat skis when he's heli skiing and he sticks one of them under the brakes on the other one to make a mono ski and he makes powder turns on his uphill edge all the way down. <laughs> wow. Holds held well above his head in true mono skier fashion. <laughs> what skis does he use for that? Uh wh- whatever he's got. Uh he was using some uh <laughs> some K2 Powabungas and yeah. and now the now the the Revolt 121. Okay, I was going to say you don't want much side cut if you're doing that. <laughs> all the snow <laughs> coming in between. You know, he probably has strong feelings on what the best ski is for doing that. <laughs> I'll I'll run by him. Um, but we also, you know, and also here at at Heliskin, we do get we still get mono skiers every year. They're they're That's I sick. think in Europe it's like alive and well. Yeah, Good, I, I can't try that. I can't wait to hear from our European audience. Wait, so Paul, p- people are coming out to Chugach Powder guys, and they're like rolling up with their mono board every year, every year. And the f- the cool thing about it is, is that I think the community's pretty small, so they like all know who each other are, kind of, <laughs> one level or another. That's well, awesome. Well, props to the six heli skiing mono boarders out there. May your community. Well, I don't know. If you want it to remain small, may it remain small and you all uh you all live well and prosper. Man, it looks it looks hard and scary. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time. Think, things I wouldn't want to do out of a helicopter. Yeah. Um okay, moving on. Um park skiing. Yeah, this one I feel like I feel like we're over the last few years we have seen kind of a tapering off of the spin and flip to win like obviously we saw some quad corks over the past couple years but that's far from common um and at least for the past few years it's been a rise of really technical grab and grab combinations and getting really weird with that stuff like just look at alex hall winning all the recent x games big air events um and then i think we'll I think we'll continue to see that in the comp scene and then we'll continue to see people um, kind of mirroring the bunch style, like more playful, less techie, smaller spins, but more butters, presses and funky combos like that um, because it's really fun to do and it's really low consequence. And while there will always be people hating on that because some people don't like the style, I see why it's grown so much because you're not having to hit like freeway at Breck and you're not like 50 feet off the air and you can still have fun and do really cool looking tricks at slower speeds and smaller features. Yeah, this is one that I'm really excited to watch, honestly, because, you know, in the past 10 years, we saw park freestyle skiing become an Olympic sport. And as a result, we saw this huge sort of schism in park. And I think you touched on this, Luke, where there's like the comp scene and then the non-comp scene. And we saw the same thing happen in snowboarding. Actually, in snowboarding, it sort of like clicked out a little bit before the Olympics, at least if you separate half pipe out, because I don't really count that as being like hugely influential to that sport. 
But what we see next decade is a whole slew of extreme, or air quotes, extreme sports in the Olympics. And we're going to see huge cultural changes, perhaps, across all these sports, um, park skiing included. And I think like the big question is, do we see this sort of this sort of two parts of of park skiing continue into the decade, or do we kind of see um, things, you know, converge a, a little bit down the line? I'm also really excited to see what happens in surfing and climbing and these other sports um, that are that are going to be new Olympic contenders because uh, it's such a huge cultural pressure and potential cultural shift, and to see how these different communities react, um, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Paul, do you have anything to add here? In a complete reversal of previous trends of park skiers taking their tricks to the backcountry, backcountry skiers will come to the park, start skinning up the jumps, and <laughs> jump turning down the transition. <laughs> I could do that. Here's, um, here's, I guess, my take. I really like what Luke and Sam have had to say so far on this. I think we can look at a couple elements. If in the next 10 years the erratic nature of near-term climate change, if we are just getting blanked on snow, I actually think that is maybe the best opportunity for park skiing to, I don't know, either remain steady or grow because ski areas will continue to make snow. And I think that while they can't make infinite you know, endless amounts of snow to open up whole mountains, that kind of thing. If there is enough snow to let people go slide around in terrain parks, that's something that ski areas would do and maybe start marketing more heavily. And then I think a second variable there will be, as we've talked about, the price of these passes. So let's say that snowfall is generally thin or thin in a lot of significant areas and if ski passes stay cheap enough then it's like seems like that could be positioned as a really fun weekend activity or whatever so i don't know that's a kind of niche or maybe weirdly myopic view but i could see those two factors supporting park skiing and terrain parks this is actually a nice segue, I think, into an area that I'm not, I'll be curious if you guys have been paying any attention to this or have many thoughts on it, but let's go to the next topic, indoor ski areas. Were you guys aware that this indoor ski area opened up like in the last month in New York? I did not know about the New York one. I did know about the Denver one that I don't think is open yet, but is being built right now. Yeah, it is being built. <laughs> thoughts. Let's let's go around table on this because I've got thoughts. Yeah, I think especially given the potentials of climate change impacting regular mountains, I think we will see a continued rise in indoor ski areas. I don't I don't see them being like a huge game-changing thing just because of the physical limitations of like how big you can make an indoor ski area and like the types of uh, skiing you can do in there. But I feel like that'll become more popular, especially, I mean, I was really surprised when they decided to open one in Denver. Um, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like I-70 traffic is insane now, but for a place where there is 
skiing like hour or two away. Um, surprising to see them build it there. And maybe that's a sign that they are going to be become a lot more common. Well, and I, I think with regards to the Denver one, I think what what we're going to see there is that it's going to be a tool for people who have never been skiing before to be able to go here, spend an afternoon as opposed to, you know, a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. day driving to Summit County where they can just like take a couple hours, see if skiing's for them, learn a little bit, take a lesson um, at probably a considerably, actually, I don't I have no idea what the price points are going to be. Um, but I, I, I think viewing the indoor ski area concept in Denver more as a way to get beginners into the sport than it is as a way for people to like scratch their skiing itch Mm -hmm. um, is probably going to be like most accurate. I I agree with Sam. And I would add that, you know, as as someone who doesn't know much about business, I would still suspect that if I was Altera or Vail Resorts, um, I would be looking for ways to get people who live in places far away from ski areas excited about skiing. And having indoor ski areas in places like New York or other other big metropolitan areas makes tons of sense if you're trying to create new customers for your your massive uh, portfolio of ski areas around the world. Yep. Um, so my take on this is I totally agree with that. And as Sam said, this is a lower cost both in terms of money and time way for individuals to like decide, is this interesting at all or not? And I actually think this could become an excellent kind of training ground. I mean, I am willing to assume or I'm willing to guess that every single day that we are all out on the mountain we are watching people struggle to step into a ski binding. I see this all the time or somebody's fallen down and they're trying to get back up and they don't realize that they need to push down their heel piece before stepping in. I really actually kind of like the idea that there will be these urban centers where people can go just step in and out of skis, honestly. Um, And then when they do go on their trip to whatever ski area, they are, they kind of now have at least a baseline level of comfort and familiarity with some of this really weird equipment. I think there's another really kind of interesting parallel here in the last 10 to 15 years in the climbing world we've seen a huge rise of indoor climbing areas, right? And this is where I agree with with what's already been said. Interestingly, on the climbing side, as I think most people know, we now have a lot of quote-unquote climbers who literally don't climb outside. They just climb indoors on plastic. I do not predict that if we see this rise of indoor ski areas, we will see a bunch of skiers who only ski indoors. So I, the prediction here that I think we're all in agreement on is this would be a great way to, a, a relatively low cost way 
to let people come in, try to get this feel of sliding around on snow a bit, get a little more familiarity with the equipment. And I think that could be really significant in terms of growing the sport of skiing overall. Well, and it's interesting the parallel you've drawn to climbing gyms because, um, you know, there I, 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 I often think about bouldering and park skiing as being very similar sports. 100%. Um, in, their, in, their, in their, you know, realms. And I think you could very feasibly build a pretty damn good park indoors, you know? Um, I think there's there's a little bit less mass appeal to park skiing simply because yeah. um, falling park skiing hurts way more than falling in a bouldering gym. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's definitely something to look out for. Yeah, and we've, we circle back to like, what's the trajectory of park skiing? If we are seeing, and I'm not predicting like, we're going to have hundreds of indoor ski areas around the US. I don't think we need hundreds. You know, take the top 10 most dense urban cities, if we're seeing indoor ski areas pop up in those and some of those decide to put up kind of interesting, even beginner terrain parks, you're just providing an easier way for people to try this out and maybe catch the bug. I think a huge factor with those is that they're going to have to be large refrigerators or more accurately, large freezers. And so those are going to be very energy intensive buildings, it would seem, which isn't great. But I think if in the next 10 years, those are being built and there are ways to make those not monster energy sucks, I kind of... I well, I, I will say at least that I'm very curious about this potential development. Okay, moving on. Let's now talk about just some general predictions for the next decade. Um, and I should say we're not going to have these predictions be gear focused because we are going to have an upcoming episode of Gear Thirty that where we will be making gear focused predictions. So this is more a general ski and snowboard industry predictions. We've already just laid out a lot about certain demographics, but let me see what you guys have. Mine, I'm just thinking about like kind of comps and professional skiers and what they're going to do. I think someone's definitely going to land a double, well, at the very least attempt a double, probably land one in a free ride world tour comp. Um, And then... I think some kid who we probably don't, no one knows right now is going to land a trick with five corks or flips or something like that by the end of the decade. Um, And quads will probably start getting thrown in competitions like a handful of times a year. Like it'd have to be like the right jump for sure, perfect conditions. But I feel like someone's going to, people are going to start going for that. Sam? Um, I think uh, I've sort of already made made my case um, for Telly. That's my, <laughs> I think that's, that's probably my, 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 my big prediction. Yeah. All right. Sam's all about dropping the knee in the next decade. Um, 
Paul, what do you got? I'm really curious if the next decade will bring uh, a different class of aerial vehicles into the world that could have a real effect on uh, like skiing, but I mean in the world in general, but on backcountry sports, whether those are manned or unmanned, like consumer available uh, flying vehicles. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I think 10 years is, is, is like too short. I think we're further out than that, but uh, I'm always, I always think about it. <laughs> Can't you like already order like a Uber drone Uber in chopper. Dubai? Yeah. I think I read something about this. I think in New this. York too. Yeah, I don't think there's anywhere in the world where there's legal, I could be wrong, legal unmanned aerial vehicles. I don't think that's a thing yet. But mm-hmm. um, So you're still dealing with like, you know, the same kind of airframes and, and pilot limitations that you have now. But that would really be a shakeup, I think, in the backcountry skiing world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm going to make a prediction that, honestly, this one maybe flies in the face a little bit with, I think I've expressed quite a bit of optimism in the overall growth of the kind of the ski industry and number of people who will be getting exposed to skiing and perhaps getting into skiing. I, I actually think that is going to grow. So I'm I'm now having worked through this more with you guys, I, I maybe am feeling slightly less confident about this prediction. But prior to sitting down with you guys, I was feeling quite confident recently that we are going to see a contraction, a reduction in the number of independent ski companies. On the one hand, I just think that a new company coming today is it, it's just a tough time to come in right now. There are a lot of small companies out there making good things. And I think coming in, like if we were going to start a company and come in tomorrow, a new ski company, like what's the value proposition? What are we really truly going to be able to say we're doing different or better? Um, you know, so I think new companies coming in better be real dialed on their marketing or even better, truly coming forward with something that doesn't already exist in the market. And I apparently lack the vision to know what that is. So on the one hand, it feels a little contradictory, right? Because I think if ski numbers are growing, you might say, well, there's going to be room for a proliferation of new ski companies. But um, I don't know. I, uh, I actually think 10 years from now, there, we won't continue to see. I th- I'm predicting, I guess, more skiers, but not more ski companies. You guys agree with that? I think I'm off. Well, I mean, that's interesting for me because, you know, we saw there was this, you know, explosion of like the microbrewski company, you know, and this was probably right. like, I don't know, 2008 to 2014-ish, maybe something like that. By 2014, we were probably already seeing the decline um, and it like sharply leveled off. You know, we lost most of those um, and kind of the, 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 the survival of the fittest held, you know, we have got some pretty good small ski companies out in the market right now. Um, but I agree with you, Jonathan. I don't think there's really much market room for 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 more at this point. There's, I, 
yeah, I, I think we're at a pretty mature place for the, uh, if you will, even though I hate the term, the microbrewski company. Yeah, I think I would say we see a. It stays about the same in terms of the number of companies. What I do think we'll see is we'll continue to see new small companies, and we'll continue to see small companies fail or cease to exist. And I think I think that's going to kind of maintain the balance because, I mean, we've seen in just about everything like this emphasis on like local food or like buying small like emphasizing that a lot and i think for a lot of skiers it's cool to have like a ski that you don't see all over the mountain like it's cool to be unique um so i think that's gonna keep people interested in smaller ski companies but i don't think like i definitely don't see a bunch of new indie companies like getting to the size of a moment or a J skis or forefront or something like that. Um, I feel like we'll, we'll see small players come in and out of the game over the next 10 years. Paul. So, so what, what key companies have gone out in the last decade? Like I've seen a lot of new companies come along and I haven't really kept track of like, especially the smaller ones. Have, have we lost key companies in the last decade? There's HG, um, the, the problem is I don't remember most of them because they were really <laughs> yeah. small. I mean, a lot of them went out a long time ago. Like, remember Blue House skis? They had yep. a, they had a little run yep. there. Um, Kitten Factory yeah. ramp. I, I just feel like I've still seen overall a, a net increase in the number of ski companies uh, so recently, and I feel like the consumer direct thing. It's like yeah. if you think you have a story that you want to tell about your product like there's not a whole lot of barriers to entry. I mean, like skis aren't the most expensive thing to make. So I wouldn't be surprised if we keep seeing people throwing their hat in the ring. Um, I, I agree. I think overall there's not going to be like, ma- like a, a major shift toward a lot more indie ski companies, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if we kept seeing like new companies come in with a new story to tell mm-hmm. that um, have a compelling product, especially if, if we are going to see, you know, uh, not just like more overall skier days, but like more people actually going skiing. Um, and with the marketing the way it is now, it's you know it's so cheap to market that I, I could see it go. I could see people continuing to try. Well, that that I think you're then just agreeing with Luke's point. Like Luke's saying, we will continue to see new companies come across. I just think the economics of this stuff are difficult, right? And so for a new company to come in and get themselves into a healthy, sustainable position as a business, that strikes me as a really difficult thing. And frankly, I think hopefully if some people out there are listening to this who just started a new company or are just on the brink of doing so or are going to do so in three years cool, listen to this and don't necessarily be deterred, but just don't do this like, oh man, you know, it'd be sick. Luke, we should totally start our own ski company. That'd be sick, bro. It's like, you better have your shit together or you're going to die. And I think we've seen, I mean, this probably happens in every industry, including the micro, you know, the, I'm sorry, the, in, in terms of new microbreweries, there is the dream and the, the perceived coolness factor. And then there's the reality of how to make all this actually go. And so 
I'm not here to try to discourage people to coming in to the industry with new companies. I am here to discourage lazy people or people who are just kind of like, this is going to, I'm going to go live the dream, man. It's like, yeah, come with more than that. Did that bum you out, Paul? Were you thinking of starting your own? No, no, not at all. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, there's been some interesting products. Like I, overall, I've been pretty stoked to, you know, in general, if I had to sight unseen, if you told me in one box there was a pair of skis from uh, a very unknown, uh, long historied uh, European ski maker, and the other uh, from some guys who started making skis in their garage two months ago, I'm always going to take this box number A. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a huge devotee of indie ski companies. There's been some great ones, and there's been a lot of pretty mediocre ones. Um, but, uh, but I just, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think agree with what you just said, Jonathan. Next round of predictions, Luke. You got anything else? No. Luke's out. He just thinks someone's gonna flip like ten times yeah. in the air before 2029. I mean, people want to be Instagram famous, and they want to either prove themselves or just get famous for it, and that's the next step. And yeah, but we all know the way to get famous on Instagram is to quit skiing and start the Telly Revolution. <laughs> no, just ski modeling. That's what I'm planning hey, I, on doing. I have, I have a, like a question, like I kind of a like an interesting question. I think about the ski industry and this is going to be the world at large, but do you guys think that there will be a retraction in the uh, social media? Um, I'm trying to think of the right word. I'm not going to say bragging or claiming some, something along those lines related to skiing. Like, do you think it's going to become passe to go ski a cool line and instantly put it on the internet on the internet? I think in the very core communities it will, but for the people, especially the people that are trying to become pro skiers, like that is the metric that a lot of companies focus the most on. And it's such an easy thing to quantify. Whereas like years ago, you'd be like, well, I was in level one's movie and that's, that's what I did last year. And this year it's like, I had 60,000 engagements over the past four days, like, and all of them had your company tagged in them. So I think like in the pro world, it's still kind of a necessity that some people like, and some people hate having talked to some of them. Um, but I feel like for the casual people, I, I mean, I'd love to see that. Like, like just go skiing for fun. Yeah, and like what I really want to see, though, this is I think very unlikely to happen, is it'd be really rad if we stopped like sensationalizing and um, you know making risk look sexy. Mm-hmm. Which I think like the things that people are doing are so freaking gnarly. Like people are pushing it and doing incredible things. And then you watch the ski media, like the media version, the social media version of it. And it's like, they're trying to make it sound even more gnarly, you know, like tilting the picture. So it looks like it's 90 degrees steep, which, or like, you know, just like all this super dramatic music and talking about like, oh, you know, the risks were so high, but like sometimes you just got to go for it. It's like, no, like that's just like, that's not how anyone actually thinks about this stuff. And it's just like you're curating. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna rant. Uh, sorry for the for the short rant. I uh, this is like a serious pet peeve of mine. But like, let the gnarly things stand on their own. They don't need to be like dramatized at all. And I, I wish we would do more of that. What are your thoughts, Paul? Yeah, I I mean I generally agree, and I don't want to like tell people how to live their lives or put stuff on online. I I do think that 
especially in the backcountry ski world, things have changed a lot in the last 20 years as far as like how many people are getting to, to places that are that historically weren't super easy to figure out or super easy to find. And some of the advancements are really good, right? Like it's awesome to have online avalanche forecasts and real-time observations coming in. Um, and I think that's really great. I think on the other hand, uh, getting like uh, real-time updates on conditions on, you know, and places to go skiing and hearing what people are skiing and, and seeing areas that people are going to. I think it's, it's maybe this is just me being an old curmudgeon, but I think it sucks some of the adventure out of the, out of the sport, especially out of the backcountry side of it. And, uh, I, I'd, I'd like to see a trend more toward, um, you know, kind of, kind of what you guys are all getting at, like a little bit of a retraction in, uh, in the, putting stuff out there about what you've been doing recently, especially in a real-time sense. And I also think that it kind of takes away from the experience. If, if there happens to be a focus on documentation or getting, mm-hmm. the, getting the photos with that intent in mind, I think it kind of takes away from the experience a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, as has kind of been said, I do think that sponsored skiers and snowboarders, professional skiers and snowboarders, I mean that's just a big part of the job now is to get that quote unquote content, the word I still hate. And I don't blame them. I mean, go do your job. And part of doing your job is doing what your sponsors are asking you to do. And so I'm, I'm certainly not here to say I'm mad about the pro skier showing us beautiful places and beautiful lines and the like, but for a lot of us, I don't think we need to be documenting the entirety of our days. One of the things I think that will be, hopefully I'm right about this, an important trend just in general, let's not worry just about the ski industry, but just in modern life, hopefully we get a better handle on the addictive nature of things like you know our phones and the, the how powerful they are how they always leave us connected and social media platforms in general and this isn't new right but a lot of people have done good research talking about the addictive nature of these things and it will be just interesting to see in Really, like some of these things we've talked about, like where will things be in 10 years? This is more one like I'm very interested to see where we'll be in six months or 12 months and then two years, etc. Just phones in general and how we're using them. And if we start getting stronger prescriptions about like it is just simply unhelpful to brain chemistry or brain development to be attached to these devices beyond a certain amount of time a day. Like if we're going to start seeing more prescriptions for those kinds of things, right? So if we used to live in a world where it was like, doctors recommend Marlboro as the healthiest cigarettes. It's like, well, we kind (laughs) of got past that, right? So it'll be interesting to see how that element plays into what we're doing as an industry on when it comes to posting stuff about skiing. 
Paul, anything else here? Uh, yeah, one more one more comment regarding kind of pro skiers and and the uh, ski media. I would like to see, and I think there might be a trend a little bit toward. Um, I'm going to use kind of a, a derogatory term, but toward a little bit of greenwashing of the sport. And I would love to see the the ski athletes not always on next year's hottest, newest, coolest stuff. And I, I know that part of that defeats the purpose of marketing, right? You're only going to ski the the skis that are coming out. But I would, I, I think, like for a company like Patagonia, for example, having their athletes not having new jackets every year for their photo shoots and making a point of saying why that they're going to ski in their last year's Pau Slayer kit instead of their next year's Pau Slayer kit. I think things like that, again, mostly greenwashing, but I think it, it delivers a message that all of us in the ski industry are guilty of um, are guilty of, of kind of violating a little bit where we're just like always chasing the hottest, newest thing and wanting to have the coolest, newest stuff. And we all know at Blister that next year's skis aren't necessarily better than this year's skis. Mm-hmm. Um, but the industry as a whole has not been, you know, that, that message isn't out there in other buyer's guides and other uh, entities. And so I'd love to see uh, some, you know, besides just us at Blister saying that you guys screwed up the best ski ever by making it wider or lighter, um, I'd like to see other parts of the industry starting to, like, say that it's okay to be a pro skier and wear the same jacket three years in a row. Yeah, and on that note, I I don't I don't know if this is going to happen, but I I feel like it's starting to happen where if you're if you're a pro skier and you try and make a post about like reducing emissions, if you look into the comments, it's just a billion people like, "Well, you fly all over the world to ski." Yep. And totally. And like while that like yes, that's not good for the environment, it'd be nice to see people be able to talk about issues without everyone else singling out how they are not worthy of talking about that issue or something like that or just decreasing the mob mentality of the internet and trying to find a nitpicky thing you can complain about with every single time someone like takes a stance on something that gets just exhausting so 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 luke is your prediction that the mob mentality of the internet is going to decrease over the next 10 years Uh, no no this is just like like a a wish, like my Christmas <laughs> wish, my New Year's wish, like yeah, especially because we get to deal with a lot of it too. Yeah. <laughs> well, and don't get me wrong. I'm not. Say, I'm not in any way saying that like that wearing the same jacket three years in a row instead of buying a new one is going to like avert the climate change mm-hmm. crisis or climate crisis. What I am saying is that, um, and, and, and like I use the word greenwashing because it is a derogatory term and it is mm-hmm. like it's, you're not doing a lot by that. But I think just like changing the ethos a little bit around the industry would be, would be a good thing overall. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, since you mentioned Patagonia, I think in fairness to them and a number of other companies out there, durability is a kind of performance conservation element, right? So if stuff is built to last or is easily repairable, those are significant things in their own right. And I, you know, I think Patagonia has talked about that pretty well. They have, you know, promoted that repair your stuff. Don't just throw it away and buy something new. And, um, you know, so I think that those are just things that, frankly, I think they have said that stuff. I think now as consumers, we 
need to all keep that in mind, mm. be looking to repair gear and encouraging or rewarding manufacturers who do make durable stuff. Um, that becomes another, you know, keeping broken gear or trashed gear out of a landfill matters. So, okay. I had one last prediction and then I actually, my last question that I'd had for you guys was like, what is your wildest, most outlandish prediction that's maybe not likely to happen? You'd just love to see it happen. Maybe we've already talked about him here. Luke's Luke's wish for the internet to be a kinder, gentler place. But so let me just say my last kind of normal prediction, 10 years from now, we're going to see a whole lot more electric cars and trucks and SUVs in ski area parking lots. I think that trend of the electric vehicle and the kind of capable electric vehicle, if we see a lot of, you know, four wheel pickup trucks in parking lots right now, I'm just, I just think we will 10 years from now, a lot of those vehicles are going to be electric unless there are major advancements along the lines of the combustion engine or fuel cell technology somehow leapfrogs electric vehicles. But I think we're going to see a change in what many people in our community are looking to be driving. I think you're probably right. I, I mean, yeah, there'll be some virtue signaling there. There'll be some practical reasons. And I think you're, I think that's the trend in general. You know, it was, I mean, Ford's going to make an electric F-350. We've talked about other electric vehicles in the market. It's changing, for, I think, for the better. <laughs> and I, I guess maybe my point is, I think the outdoor community will be some of the earliest adopters on that. A lot of people are currently in San Francisco driving Teslas in the kind of tech crowd. But I think we'll see our broader outdoor community try to jump jump this development. Okay, this is literally our last thing, wildest prediction. Candied Tovex wins the Freeride World Tour in 2030. Whoa. <laughs> that's not even this decade. That's the... You I, mean, know. I know, that's why it's wild. I call that a wild prediction for this decade. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be like, I don't know, 100 years old at that point. I don't think anyone knows how old Candide actually is, but he's, he's going to win. 2030, okay. That was a weird one. Um, Sam, what do you got? That's what you asked for. <laughs> I I mean, what I was good to talk about was the whole like dram dramatization and sensationalization of um, ski accomplishments. So I know it will never happen, but it'd be cool. No, we can we can start making edits um, all on green groomers or like 25 degree slopes in the backcountry and we'll make those exciting. Yeah, let's do less. I like it. <laughs> let's do less. Paul? Uh, carbon sequestration reverses climate change and we go into <laughs> nine months of winter by the by the end of the decade and it's powder day six days a week. Sweet. Wow. <laughs> with with one day for groomers just for fun. <laughs> just to work on your technique. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with um, electric helicopters or fuel cell helicopters. Ooh, that'd be nice. Right? Although would it, would, well, was, never mind. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me, but I don't think that's that far fetched. 
<laughs> I think we're no, I mean, it's there. just, is it like, I mean, you know, like electric airliners, that's going to change the world. That's going to like dramatically change the world. Electric helicopters, I'm not sure. Maybe, at least, I mean, maybe in the bigger picture. I don't, don't I didn't predict it was going to change the world. This was a very specific ski industry development. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Hey, so CP, I don't, CPG I don't is going to have but... electric helis or fuel cell helis. I love it. Bring it on. That'd be, that'd be so cool to have a silent helicopter. Yeah, just you just hear the blades whooshing the whole yeah. time. Um, I mean, that's what they say they're going to have in this, like, you know, Rio de Janeiro is going to have, like, these super quiet personal helicopters zipping around everywhere with electric motors. So maybe we'll have one in Alaska, too. Okay. Uh, when you get one, I'm definitely going to come visit, Paul. Okay. All right. Uh, it's fun thinking about the future. And uh, as always, we will invite everyone listening to this to share with us what you've got uh, in terms of predictions. Uh, and um, then the only other thing to say is if I can manage to get all of our schedules to align, and we are very sorry that Kristen Sinat wasn't able to join us today. It would have been fun to have her thoughts on some of this. We're going to try to get together again and do this same thing, predictions for this coming decade. But now we're going to go gear focused and we will be posting that episode this Friday on gear 30. So I'm looking forward to that conversation with you guys as well. Is that when we can talk about electromagnetic powered telemark findings? Yes. <laughs> Damn it. Spoiler alert. You gave away my number one, Paul. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to let you guys run. Um, thanks, and I will talk to all of you very soon. Cool. All right, bye-bye. See ya. See you guys. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd encourage you to subscribe to the Blister Podcast, share this episode with your friends, and, of course, leave us a nice little rating in iTunes. We like that. Thanks to Paul Forward, Luke Kappa, and Sam Shaheen for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Now, please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.